Well, good morning, River in the Hills family. Good morning, everybody in the room. I want to disregard. I want to just talk to the iPad. I'm going to honor the nine other people that are here with me. More than six feet apart. You guys are doing your part, serving your country. You never knew that you could serve your country like this. So that's good. Welcome, everybody, on the live stream. Welcome, anybody who watches this as, a, as an archive also. So uh, the word... His word is timeless, so you can hear it again and again, and he can put fresh weight on it each time, which is exactly what I'm going to be talking about today, something I've read over and over and over again uh, that got fresh life and fresh rhema on it this week. Um, before I get to that, I just, want to, uh, I just want to tell you how honestly encouraged I am right now and honestly excited, and <clears throat> I may not manifest signs of physical excitement, and that's uh, normal for me. So you can ask Kaylee, you know, I'll tell Kaylee, hey, I'm really excited. And she'd be like, you look the same as if when you weren't excited. And I'd say, yeah, but you just have to trust me, I'm excited. So um, I get excited in my heart, you know, I guess it's, it's my Baptist roots. I'm thankful for them. We do things in our heart. So um, anyways, but I'm really buzzing with anticipation over what the Lord is doing during this time. And I don't say that flippantly, I don't say that lightly, because I'm very sober-minded about what's going on. Like, I understand that people are hurting and suffering, and there's a lot of fear, and there's a lot of uncertainty, and, um, and, I, and I get that. But I'm choosing to, and I hope you'll choose with me, to actually see and, and weigh every, everything that I see and everything that I hear, I have to, I have to filter through, through Scripture, I have to line, and if it doesn't line up with this, I have to throw it out. And that's how I'm able to see things. Uh, at, you know, not, I'm not perfect at it, and, I, and, and don't expect you to be perfect at it either, but is to the best of my ability, day in and day out, as I walk through each day, to be able to see things through heaven's lenses. And when we do that, we can actually look past the noise and look past the rhetoric and see some of the good things. I'm just gonna, I wrote down 10 good news things that I'm just going to read real quick because they're encouraging and and they're good. So number one, crime is down. Turn, I mean, it turns out when the criminals have to stay at home, you can't go do it. I mean, there's, there's still bad things happening, but I mean, crime is down. Abortions are like 99% stopped in Texas and in several other states. Almost the only ones that are being allowed are the ones that they consider emergent life-saving measures. I mean, I mean that's amazing. Man, many of us, number three, many of us have free time now. Something that we have always said we wish we had. Now you have it. Many of us. Some of you are still at work, which is great. God is getting the church, number four, God is getting the church's attention. He's waking up sleepy saints. I see that as amazing. The, la the Sunday that we met here before the quarantine was like one of the most powerful corporate gatherings I've ever been in because of the, the Spirit's anointing on it was just so tangible. It was amazing. Number five, we have opportunity to really be the church to those around us right now. That's amazing. That's just really good news. Number six, neighbors are out talking and helping each other. Isn't that cool? Neighbor, like people are meeting their neighbors for the first time. Lived next to them for 10 years, never said hi to them. Now all of a sudden you're having all these conversations with them. It's really cool. Number seven, our president is leading us with strength and decisiveness. I shouldn't just limit it to him. Our leaders are leading with strength and decisiveness. Number eight, people and businesses are being very generous. Uh, many of them donating way beyond their means, giving things away, millions of dollars worth of stuff, supplies, and it's just really cool to watch. Uh, number nine, new levels of creativity are being tapped into with all the artistic people and the creative mind, and people with inventions. You know, I saw this, I saw this picture of this, uh, of this old folks' home where they were playing, they're playing life-size hungry hippo. 
They took these hospital trays and taped them to the end of sticks, and they're all in their wheelchairs trying to get bouncy balls from in between them in the circle. And I thought, ah, that's awesome, just creativity. No one thought about that. I mean, it's just really cool. And number 10, maybe your favorite, there's less traffic on 620. So there's just really, really cool things that are going on. Uh, and that's just, that's just a few things. There's really, there's really honestly a lot more, but um, it's exciting. Uh, did, I, did we just lose the sound here? We're good? Okay. Um, I have a, before we get into the word today, I have a, a, a kind of a fatherly word um, for everybody, and I hope that it's received um, that way. It's something that the Lord, um, I'm, I'm confident, gave to me to give away. Uh, this morning. So I hope you receive it uh, with love as that's how I'm giving it because I love you. Um, And that is that hopefully each one of you watching, each one of you here this morning um, is determined as I am, or hopefully you are as determined as I am to use this time wisely um, and not waste opportunity. Instead of worrying, I encourage you to pray. That's, That's the Bible. Uh, instead of complaining, I want you to say everything out loud that you're thankful for. When you find yourself grumbling or complaining or just, uh, just start saying everything out loud out of your mouth that you're thankful for. Instead of sleeping in, wake up early and read your Bible more. Uh, instead of watching a bunch of TV or wearing out your fingers, scrolling mindlessly through social media, find something productive to do. I encourage each of you to be a part of the solution, not add to the problem. Um, a lot, of, a lot of jokes in the media and a lot of really funny parodies and memes about toilet paper and stuff like that uh, right now, which is just hilarious to me that toilet paper is the number one commodity. Um, but I, I want to, I, I have a serious word for you right now. If you complain about there not being enough toilet paper and then you go hoard toilet paper, you're just adding to the problem and not being part of the solution. And I, and I say that seriously. Uh, as I, I, I say, it's a fatherly word because that's how I would instruct my son if I saw him doing that. I would correct him. I haven't seen anybody doing that. I'm just saying. It's, I, I mean, I haven't seen any of you doing that. I have seen people doing that. Um, we should be, as the church, finding ways to give toilet paper away. I mean, finding, finding ways, and, and here's a joke for you. You can give it away and then watch God multiply it, oh. Right? He can turn it from single ply to two ply. I mean, I'm, but I'm serious. I mean, it, shouldn't our reaction be more of how can we get to give rather than how can we get, 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 and just keep, keep, keep? It's, we complain and say, oh, well, there's, there's not enough toilet paper, so I have to, so I have to hoard so, so that the next time I go, I don't have to worry about getting it. No, you don't. You don't have to. And, and, I, and I just, it's not just toilet paper. It's just a mindset. I encourage you to, to take a step back and really operate out of, out of a place of faith and trust rather than a place of fear and reaction. So take that. Hopefully, uh, uh, hopefully also we learn from this time. This is the last thing I'll say here. Hopefully the last, we, we learn from this time and, and stock up when things are good and there's not a crisis so that when there is a crisis, we can be the ones who are giving away and helping and be a, a lifeline and be, and be a supply chain for those around us. And it, I tell you what, that's, that's, that's biblical. That's what Joseph did. That's what Joseph did. He, he spent seven years preparing for a seven-year-off famine that might happen, right? It was a word. And, and because he prepared ahead of time, they were fine. And that, that's, that's something that we all need to take and heed from this. So, uh, and if you need toilet paper, just give me a call. I'll share some with you, I promise. I promise. I'll share it with you. All right.
Let's get into the Word. Turn, turn the Bible to, uh, hopefully you have a paper Bible if you're watching on your phone so you can keep watching and, and, and follow along at the same time. But turn to Jeremiah chapter 32. I have way, way too much information that I wanted to share this week. I wanted to, I wanted to get through um, points in Jeremiah 32 and 33. And after I finished my notes on 32, I had about four sermons worth of notes. So uh, I stopped and... Uh, <laughs> We'll get to the others some other time, or never. It's fine. Lots of stuff that pastors prepare for never get preached. So we just, just goes in the, uh, it goes in the bank for later. So, um, But I'm going to read through uh, Jeremiah 32, just piece by piece. We're not going to read all of it, um, but tell you, basically going to tell you a story uh, that is extremely, the principles that you're going to see in this story are extremely applicable to our situation today. Uh, and it's really, really cool how the Lord took this story from from a long time ago under an old and worse covenant, um, and it's actually shining light on it today in the new covenant, and it's given us practical tools to really take and apply what we can learn from this today. So that's my goal today, is to actually, is actually get out of this story things that we can start applying right now, right? We don't have to wait, and you can do it in your home while you're on the stay-at-home order. You can do it at work or Wherever it is, you can put it to practice right now. You don't have to wait. So let's pray, and then we'll get into it. So Father, we thank you this morning, God, for thank you for the, just the, the technology and the ability to still be able to, to sort of meet together, but to really just commune together. I pray, God, for uh, the grace to take advantage of, of this opportunity, Father, in this hour. God, I pray, Lord, for a, um, a sober-mindedness, God, and I pray, Lord, for open ears and open hearts, God, and for no distractions right now as we open your word, God, and we hear from you, God. I pray, God, that, that the rhema and the logos would meet right now, God. In the name of Jesus, I pray for, for divine revelation and for divine conviction. Holy Spirit, you're, you are the comforter, but you're also the convictor, Father. So I pray, God, that you would, you would rouse us up, God, where we need to make adjustments and changes and that the sweaty palms and the discomfort that, that, that happen when you're trying to tell us to listen, that we would just listen. So I pray for a spirit of humility this morning, God, and really one of joy as you promise joy in your house of prayer. We love you. Amen. All right. Jeremiah 32, starting in verse 1. I'm, I'm gonna just going to read a little bit, and then I'll stop and comment along the way. So this is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the 10th year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, which was the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar. The army of the king of Babylon was then besieging Jerusalem, and Jeremiah the prophet was confined in the courtyard of the guard in the royal palace of Judah. Now Zedekiah, king of Judah, had imprisoned him there, saying, Why do you prophesy as you do? You say, This is what the Lord says. I'm about to give this city into the hands of the king of Babylon, and he will capture it. Zedekiah, king of Judah, will not escape, by the ba- not escape the Babylonians, but will certainly be given into the hands of the king of Babylon, and will speak with him face to face and see him with his own eyes. He will take Zedekiah to Babylon, where he will remain until I deal with him, declares the Lord. If you fight against the Babylonians, you will not succeed. Let's stop there. So the scene is that Jeremiah has been prophesying the fall of Jerusalem and Judah and the restoration for a while, but he actually goes and gives a word to King Zedekiah, <laughs> you're going to fall. And if you fight against, by, by the hand of the Babylonians, and if you fight against them, it's not going to be any good. And so the king gets upset and he says, how is it that you can come and give me this word? You're in prison. So he puts him under guard, probably in his house, in the royal house there, and, uh, and he probably wasn't held in very high regard at this point. So he's a prophet. 
right? An accurate prophet, an Old Testament prophet, uh, proven accuracy, and, uh, but he gives a word that rubs the leader the wrong way, and so he ends up in prison. And so that's the scene, is, uh, is he's, the, the next words that he gets, the next words that he gets that we're going to be talking about, he gets while he's in prison. While he's in, and notice, while Jerusalem is currently under siege from the Babylonians. Okay, that's the scene that we have. I don't know if you can imagine, like, if, if a prophet called you on the phone from prison, how much how much weight you would put on their word. That, you, that would be a moment where you would have to really operate in faith there. So, hear the Lord. All right, verse six. Jeremiah says, said, the word of the Lord came to me. So he's in prison, he's about to get another word. Hanimal, son of Shalom, your uncle, is going to come to you and say, buy my field at Anathoth, because as nearest relative, it is your right and duty to buy it. Let's stop right there. Anathoth's about three miles or so outside of Jerusalem, so it's in that same vicinity. Uh, at the time, at the current time you study history, that had, that had already been taken over by the Babylonians. So it's, already, it's, a, it's a land or an area that's, that's currently conquered or besieged already by the Babylonians. The Lord speaks to Jeremiah and tells him that his cousin is on his way to sell him a worth, or to try to sell him a worthless field. That's what he tells him that the Babylonians pretty much already own. So just kind of put yourself in Jeremiah's shoes there for a minute. That's, that's the word you're getting. You're like, you're in prison, so it's just you and the Lord. Lord, what do you have to say to me today? Uh, your cousin is on the way to sell you a worthless field. That's what he tells him. So Jeremiah's like, okay. So in verse eight, just then, as the Lord had said, my cousin, Hanimal, came to me in the courtyard of the guard and said, buy my field, at Anathoth, in the territory of Benjamin, since it's your right to redeem it and possess it, buy it for yourself. Let's stop right there. So, just as the Lord spoke, he walks in, offers by him field. I, there's a lot of different discussion on why this happened, but it is, remember when the Lord gave, when the, Lord gave the promised land to, to the Israelites, it was supposed to stay with the Israelites. All the land was supposed to stay with the Israelites. So it wouldn't, it wouldn't have been legal under their covenant or law to go and sell it to anyone outside, and you're supposed to sell it to your family first. That's why he says it's your right to buy it. So there's, there's different people that think different things about why he was there selling it. One, he, he was desperate and needed money because they were under siege. Or two, um, he was kind of a low life and thought he'd maybe take advantage of Jeremiah and sell him something that was worthless. Maybe Jeremiah didn't know about it because he was in prison. Um, but really, when you come to somebody in prison and ask them to buy something from you, that's kind of weird. So, uh, I mean, that's it's already like, what do you want? Why are you here? You know, I have other problems. But, and I want you also to notice that the Lord never actually told Jeremiah to buy the field. He just told him, your cousin's going to come try to sell it to you. So let's pick it up here, um, uh, verse 9. I knew that this, this is Jeremiah, or this is the end of verse 8. I knew that this was the word of the Lord. So I bought the field at Anathoth from my cousin Hanimal and weighed out for him 17 shekels of silver. I signed and sealed the deed. I had it witnessed. I weighed out the silver on the scales. I took the deed of purchase, the sealed copy containing the terms and conditions, as well as the unsealed copy, and I gave this deed to Baruch, son of Neriah, the son of Mahesia, in the presence of my cousin Hanimal, and of the witnesses who had signed the deed, and of all the Jews sitting in the courtyard of the guard. In their presence, verse 13, in their presence, I gave Baruch these instructions. 
This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Take these documents, both the sealed and the unsealed copies of the deed of purchase, and put them in a clay jar so that they will last a long time. For this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Houses, fields, and vineyards will again be bought in this land. Let's stop right there. Again, the Lord never told Jeremiah to buy this field, but his cousin walks in, and Jeremiah's like, yeah, this is the Lord. And he took it as a word of wisdom, and he bought, he bought this seemingly worthless field. That's not even the, the most important part. What he does here is amazing to me. By, by Jewish custom, there was a way that you, that you traded and, and, and bought and sold fields. Like, we have customs. When, you, when you, there's title transfers, and there's things that happen, there's, there's there's even in certain states, you have to get attorneys involved to take care of all this stuff. And it's a formal and legal process to buy and sell real property. It was the same thing there. Now listen, for, for Jeremiah to go, notice he gets witnesses to sign it. He has two copies of the deed, which was, remember there wasn't like photocopies. So they're writing it twice. One gets sealed up. It's got all the terms. It's like the backup copy, right? And one's the open copy. And so they take it and they actually... They actually preserve it in a clay, that's how they preserve it, in a clay pot, it's the same type of thing that ma- things like the Dead Sea Scrolls were found in, right? So it's supposed to make it last a long time, be like us putting it on a thumb drive or putting it in, our, in a safe, right? It's supposed to make it last a long time. But so he goes through this whole process of, of this transfer of a piece of worthless property that he pays for, he measures out the silver so he knows exactly what he's paying for it. And it, it's sort of like, if you, to me, it's sort of like, just so you understand, if you got a title company and an attorney to oversee your purchase of a breakfast taco, that's, that's, what, that's what this whole thing, because it was ridiculous. It's under siege. It's already occupied by Babylon. There's no reason you should be spending that kind of money while you're in prison. This guy just came out of nowhere, out of the woodwork. You haven't seen him in a long time, and he wants you to buy this piece of property that he happens to have. I mean, nothing about it makes sense. And Jeremiah and he takes every single step seriously to the fullness of Jewish law and custom. It's crazy. I want to know if any of this is starting to sound familiar, any of this situation. Many of us are not seeing, I'm going to tell you, Jeremiah did not see, and we're going to see in a second here, he started to have some doubts. Jeremiah was not seeing any sign that pointed to the second half of the prophetic word he'd been given by the Lord about restoration. He's in the middle of seeing the destruction. And in the middle of the destruction, the Lord says, I want you to invest in something that's worthless now. But it might be worth something in the future if you believe the second part of my word. And he had a, he had a decision to make. We're living in a very similar situation. Many of us are not seeing the abundance, deliverance, breakthrough, intimacy, financial promise, whatever it is that the Lord has promised you. And just as Jeremiah wasn't seeing the restoration in that moment, nevertheless, the Lord asked him to make an investment that would later pay off greatly. Now, there was a few things going on there. It was a prophetic sign. Well, he was, he was a prophetic sign we read at the end. It said... Uh, for this is what the Lord Almighty says, that houses, fields, and vineyards will again be bought in this land. And so as a prophetic down payment, if you will, he had him purchase a piece of that property himself. 
So basically, Jeremiah had the opportunity to put his money where his mouth is. He's been prophesying restoration, saying it's going to get destroyed, but don't worry, and no one wants to believe him. The king gets mad, throws him in jail, and then, and then he's like, Lord, you told me to say it, and the Lord says, now put your money where your mouth is. And he had an opportunity to do that. But there is a lot of things going on. It is a prophetic sign, uh, but it's also an opportunity uh, to really act on faith, and that's uh, what he was doing. We're in a similar situation. We have opportunity right now in this time and this hour to sow into future manifestation of promises, of abundance, deliverance, healing, intimacy, and breakthrough. We can sow with our time, with our finances, with our talents, and with what I'm calling your brain space, what you're filling your mind with. Are you setting your mind on things above or are you setting your mind on Netflix? Are you setting your mind on what the word says or are you setting your mind on what CNN says? So are your brain space. Something's gonna occupy your brain space and what is that gonna be? And we have an opportunity in this hour to either get inundated with circumstances. Are we being besieged by COVID-19? Are we being besieged by the fall of the economy? Are we being besieged by our layoffs? Are we being besieged by all the stay-at-home order, by the isolation, by the quarantine? Are we being besieged by that? Do we choose to see that and then go, no, I'm not gonna do that. I'm not gonna invest in anything. I'm just gonna get all like this. I don't even know what, there's a word for this. I'm gonna get all like this. Or, are we going to choose to believe the report of the Lord? Are we going to choose to believe what he spoke? And are we going to choose to believe what he's calling us into, which is an opportunity to invest in the future and to see beyond circumstances, but to rather see into what he's speaking and what he's doing? We have that opportunity. If we believe that God hears us, this is how we put some of these things to practice. If we believe he hears us, then we should talk to him. We should set aside time to be with him, we should pray. If we believe he wants us to be generous, then we should give and not hoard and be selfish. I think that now is a time to give way more than ever before, both in amount and frequency. There's people that are hurting. Also, giving gives the Lord opportunity to show up and show off. We don't have time for all. I have so many stories. I don't have time for them right now. If we believe that he's given us talents, we should ask him for creative wisdom on how to use them to add to the solution and not to the problem. If we believe that he's given us this time, and he has, then we should use it to fill our minds with him and to set our minds on him. We should use it to be productive. It's not always easy. I right, Look, Jeremiah, he starts to doubt a little bit. You study this prayer out, you can see that there's sort of a hesitancy in his heart here. So he, but, but I love that as soon as he starts to doubt, what does he do? Verse 16, after I had given the deed of purchase to Baruch, son of Neriah, I prayed to the Lord. So it's like the deed is done. Literally, the deed is done, he, right? And uh, he's paid, but, he, but the circumstances haven't changed, except now he's out, out more money. So he's poorer than he was but in God's eyes, he's actually richer, and this will pay off later for him. But he starts to have some doubts, so he prays. Verse 17, ah, sovereign Lord, you've made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. I'm going to go ahead and read the rest of that. I was going to skip, but we got some time. I'm talking at one and a half times speed this morning, so we'll get through this. Verse 18, you show love to thousands, but bring the punishment for the parents' sins into the laps of their children after them. 
Great and mighty God, whose name is the Lord Almighty, great are your purposes and mighty deeds are your, mighty are your deeds. Your eyes are open to the ways of all mankind. You reward each person according to their conduct and as their deeds deserve. You performed signs and wonders in Egypt and have continued them to this day in Israel and among all mankind and have gained the renown that is still yours. Let's stop right there. You see what he's doing? He's convincing himself. He's, he's prophesying to himself. He's testifying. These things happened a long time ago and he's just bringing them back to mind and saying them out loud. This is what we still do. This is still the right answer. When we're doubting and when we're struggling, we still, do. I do this. I go back in my journal, I just read, I'm like, oh man, I forgot you did that. And I say it out loud, Lord, <laughs> as if he needs to be reminded. He never forgets, but he likes to be reminded. And he just, and I just prophesy to myself. And that's what Jeremiah is doing right here. And we'll see that by the end of this prayer, he has no more doubts that what he did was the right thing. Verse 21, it says, you brought your people Israel out of Egypt with signs and wonders by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm with great terror. You gave them this land. You had sworn to give it back to their ancestors, a land flowing with milk and honey. They came in and took possession of it, but they did not obey you or follow your law. They, did, they didn't do what you commanded them to do. So you brought all this disaster on them. See how the siege ramps are built up to take the city. Because of the sword, famine, and plague, the city will be given into the hands of the Babylonians who are attacking it. What you said has happened, as you now see. And though the city will be given into the hands of the Babylonians, you, sovereign Lord, say to me, buy the field with silver and have the transaction witnessed. Jeremiah turns, prays, talks himself out of the doubt. The Lord responds, or as we're going to see, I don't know if I'll have time to read it all, but he responds by laying out the coming judgment, but then he goes right into talking about in detail the coming restoration. I just want to stop right here, and I want us to be very, very thankful that we're under the new covenant. He's going to talk about the new covenant in a minute. It's part of the promise. It's part of the promise of restoration. But I'm so thankful that the Lord deals with us with grace and mercy. I'm so thankful for Jesus. I'm so thankful for his blood. I'm so thankful for the atoning sacrifice that he made on the cross because no longer is that wrath directed at me. I'm so thankful for that. Each one of you, we live in a better covenant because of Jesus. We've been taking communion, as my family at home, we've been taking communion, and every time we drink the blood, I, cannot, I, I think this is a new covenant. This is a new covenant. This is a new covenant. And we live in the benefits of that new covenant. I'm very thankful for that this morning. I hope you are too. In verse 26, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. So basically he prays and he talks himself out of the doubt and then he reasons and he goes, okay, I understand what you do. I understand that nothing's too hard for you. And then the Lord responds and he goes, I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? That's how he said it. I love it. He's... He, he really is engaging with his son, the prophet. And uh, I'm not, I'm not going to have time to read through all this stuff, but, but he, he lays out the coming judgment and why it's coming. The Babylonians are going to take over because you've been disobedient. Ever, I, from, he says, from the, time this, from the time this place was built, it's been nothing but disobedience. There's been child sacrifice. Uh, there's been uh, high places built to Baal. It's not been good. Um, down in verse 36, uh, the Lord continues. He says to, to, to Jeremiah, he says, you're saying about this city, 
By the sword, famine, and plague, it will be given into the hands of the king of Babylon. But this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I will surely gather them from the lands where I banished them in my furious anger and great wrath. I will bring them back to this place and let them live in safety. They will be my people. I will be their God. I will give them singleness of heart and action so that they will always fear me and that all will then go well for them and for their children after them. I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never stop doing good to them. Thank you, Jesus. And I will inspire them to fear me so that they will never turn away from me. I will rejoice in doing them good. I will assuredly plant them in this land with all my heart and soul. This is what the Lord says. As I have, bought, as I have brought all this great calamity on this people, so I will give them all the prosperity I have promised them. Once more, fields will be bought in this land of which you say, it is a, detest, a desolate waste without people or animals, for it has been given into the hands of the Babylonians. Fields will be bought for silver. Deeds will be signed, sealed, and witnessed in the territory of Benjamin and in the villages around Jerusalem, in the towns of Judah, and in the towns of the hill country. Come on. I didn't write it. That's in my Bible. In the towns of the hill country, of the western foothills, and of the Negev, because I will restore their fortunes, declares the Lord. Amen. You're going to, I encourage you to read, I don't, I'm not going to do it today, but I encourage you to read Jeremiah 33. It includes my favorite verse in all of Scripture, Jeremiah 33, 3. And, and I encourage you to see that the Lord gets way more excited, even under an old covenant, he gets way more excited to lay out the restoration than he does to announce the destruction. The destruction was a result of sin. God was still good. He's not changed. I thank, I thank him that the way that he deals with us changed after Jesus. I thank him for that. But I, I am so glad that he doesn't, and, I'm, and you see it bleed through the pages, his excitement over restoration, his excitement over the new covenant. We're in a very similar time here. At the end of this, the end of this chapter, uh, I really felt like the Lord was uh, using it at, using these the logos the written word as a way to declare rhema as a way to declare a spoken word over many of your circumstances especially that you, that those of you that have been you know laid off and are struggling with not having work I'm I'm you know I'm I'm in this I'm in the same boat we're all in this sort of together and um, and we we have an opportunity to to react in fear or to be proactive in faith and I encourage you to be proactive in faith because. I firmly believe, and I believe um, that I'm, I'm not alone in this, that, that there is coming an end to this. There is coming an end to this, this COVID-19. There is coming an end to this uh, the economy that's, that's crashed. There is coming an end to the swirl of confusion, and, the, and there's coming an end to the stay-at-home order, and there's coming an end to the, there, there is coming an end. And when it comes to an end, the question has to be asked, and I think we should ask it now, what are we going to do? And I think that right now is a crucial time to do what Jeremiah did, and that is hear from the Lord, filter what we're seeing through the lens of Scripture and through the lens of heaven, and then make proactive investments in our future. Pro and I'm in financial investments, but time investments, uh, intimacy investments with Jesus, that we, actually, that we actually make wise use of our time. We make wise use of our resources so that it pays off 
when this comes to an end. Because if, when, if this comes to an end and we have the mindset of, oh, I can't wait till things get back to the way they used to be, that's the wrong mindset. Isaiah 43 says the Lord's always doing a new thing, so why would we want him to get back to the way that he was doing it? I mean, I don't want him to get back to the way he was doing it. I wanna, I, I'm excited to get to the way that he's doing it. I'm excited for the new thing. And if we don't prepare ourselves now, we won't be ready for it because Isaiah 43 also says if we don't lift up our head and perceive it, that the, the tone is that we can miss it. And I don't, I don't we're not gonna go into that too much about missing it, but I'm just saying I'd rather be Eyes wide open at the, at the head of the line going, yes, Lord, I see what you're doing. I see what you're doing. I'm, I'm humble. I need you to teach me, but I'm here and I've invested and I'm, and I'm fully in. I'd rather be there than going, well, let's just sit back and see what happens and maybe, maybe we'll jump in. I'd rather be at the front. Jeremiah made a very difficult choice in a time of calamity and a time of uncertainty. And I promise you the choices to make are, are difficult, but they're not as difficult as the one Jeremiah made because he's living under a worse covenant, and he was, he was actually in the process of having his city taken over and destroyed. <laughs> and so we're not there. We're in a better covenant. We have direct access to Jesus, right? And, and he has nothing but good intentions for us. So I encourage you to take advantage of those good intentions and to really walk uh, down, down the path that he would have you walk down. Three last things that I'll say uh, that we should take away from this. Um, I hope you take away from this, and then, uh, and then we'll close. Worship team, come on up. Uh, number one, if you're taking notes, too, if you want to write these down, these are the takeaways. Number one is weigh what you hear and see against Scripture. Jeremiah wrestled with what he was seeing and experiencing against what the Lord was saying, uh, but ultimately he went with what the Lord said, and it paid off for him. Society says to hoard and be selfish and to worry and to be fearful. Uh, don't give, don't tithe. You know, store up treasures in your home and in your pantry and in your basement and in your gun safe. And uh, that's not what Scripture says. So just do the opposite. Weigh what you do, weigh what you see and you hear against Scripture and then follow the word of the Lord. Number two, pray and pray without ceasing. Pray in the morning, pray at noon, pray at night. Pray in the spirit. Call on his name. Second Chronicles 7.14. If, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray and seek my face, Turn from their wicked ways. I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Lord, we need you to heal our land this morning. Number two is pray. Number three, this is the last one. I just encourage you to make wise use of your time. Notice that while Jeremiah was in prison, he still heard the word of the Lord. That's because he was with the Lord while in prison. He did not, he didn't veg out and just, and just you know, whatever. He was engaged. And I, I encourage you to stay engaged while you're staying at home, or even if you're still going to work, I encourage you to be more engaged. Make wise use of your time. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Father God, I thank you, Lord. I thank you for your word. Thank you for this example from your son, Jeremiah. God, give us grace right now, today, right now, to make a change. It's not too late. Father, I thank you that you don't look on us with anger and disappointment if we have hoarded or if we have been selfish, but rather you look on us like I would look on my kids, and you're a perfect father, I'm not. I would look on my kids like, oh, no, there's a better way. There's a better way. There's a better way. It's more blessed to give than to receive. 
that today you can actually make the turning point. Your stockpile that you've hoarded, go share it, go give it away, watch the Lord miraculously show up. Father, I thank you, God, that that you deal with us, that when you see us, you see the blood of Jesus, that when you see me, you see me through the lens of the blood of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that all your wrath was poured out on him and not me. I thank you, Lord, that like Jeremiah, when we have to stay at home, we can still call on you. And Father, that the social distancing orders that we've been given have actually made more room for you to come near. People have to stay six feet away. That means there's no one to get in the way of you coming near. Father, may we not get into a beggar and a freeloader mindset. Father, where we want to dine and dash. Yeah, I want to take part in that. I want to listen to this live stream. I'm going to read that. I'm going to take all the freebies, but I'm not going to give. Lord, just like we would, we would get arrested and fined if we went to a restaurant and ate and then ran. Father, that we would be generous people in this time. God, I pray for a, a special grace right now to pray and to pray like never before, to call on your name individually with our spouses, with our families. We would pray together that parents would be patient with their children during this time and that children would set a good example for their parents on how to be childlike. We would take advantage of this time to be able to spend with family and not worry about the finances. Let the Lord worry about it. Lord, thank you for the special grace during this time. It's a grace that none of us have ever walked in before. Something like this hasn't happened in in really any of our lifetimes. This is a little different. God, I pray, Lord, that we would make wise use of this time so that we come out of it on the other side prepared to move forward, prepared for the questions, prepared for the revival prepared for the the onslaught of new believers. We ask for an outpouring of your power, God. Signs and wonders, God. Healing and deliverance and salvation. Thank you for this time. Thank you, Lord, for this special time that we're in. Thank you for the good things that are happening. Thank you for Romans 8, 28. I see it happening every day, all over. You're causing everything to work for good, all things to work for the good of those who love you. Evil, the devil, no match for you. Big God, little devil. Thank you, Lord. We love you.